0: Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. I think that's too much energy to start with. 20% less.
1: Okay. (coughs) Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion.
0: Uh, I don't think that was it either. 5% either direction.
1: Either direction? Okay. (laughs) Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion.
0: Let's do that one. Let's do that one.
1: Can you just let me do it? Just let me do it. (laughs) Okay.
0: Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. We have a podcast coming out. It's called The Connect, and it's f***ing cool.
1: Each week, Shay and I will talk about two movies and the theme that connects them. For example, for our debut episode, which comes out July 22nd, the theme is work friends. I'm talking about 1999's Office Space. It's about three friends who work at a technology company.
0: And I'm talking about 1983 Scarface, which is about two best friends just trying to make their way to the top of Miami's very competitive cocaine industry.
1: Another theme we'll have is mean mentors.
0: I'm talking about Fletcher from Whiplash. Jason's talking about Miranda from The Devil Wears Prada.
1: Another theme. How about Matthew McConaughey doesn't understand <laughs> outer space?
0: I'm talking about contact. Jason is talking about interstellar.
1: And yet another theme. Oh, man, why'd you do that?
0: <laughs> I'm talking about juice. Jason's talking about Lady Bird.
1: There are categories and bits and contests. It's a whole thing, and it's going to be great, or it's going to be terrible. I don't know but I'm excited to find out.
0: Me too. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. Business, a pleasure for you. Business,
2: always business. Well, all I'm saying is- I understand perfectly well what you're saying. What I am saying to you is, I will take care of them myself. Them? Who came at you? Asked him oh, who it was. Yeah, asked him. Why? Why? What? How you gonna ask a soldier like Mazan a question like that? Either he gonna say or he gonna go and work it out. Either way, you ain't got to be asking him shit. Thank you for your concern. Did you see Butch? Too much, boy. Too
3: damn much. We are finally at the end of season two. What a journey. What a what a real journey. What a treat, more importantly. We've been caping for season two uh, for a minute before we actually started season two uh, in our prologue of sorts, uh, before we kind of started diving into each individual episode. We caped for season two early and tried to get people on board with this. And I hope that after watching season two with us, that people have changed their mind about season two because they treat us so disrespectfully, man. And it is... Really a phenomenal season. And the season finale, while I don't think it's as strong as a season one finale was, it's still pretty strong in its own right.
4: Yeah, it's it's actually one of the weaker season finales. And that it, I think that's because season two was really an ambitious season. When you sort of look back in everything that's happened in the history of The Wire, like season two was very ambitious. And so there was a lot of stuff that they did and a lot of new uh wormholes that they opened up and this particular episode was really more about burning the end of the wick all the way than it was like revealing anything um so it it it's one of the weaker season finales but at the same time I wish we could do and maybe we will do we we will do we're going to do okay. uh, a whole separate episode um on just our feelings about season two in its totality, because having rewatched it as intently as we just rewatched it, yo man, like season two is making me feel like I feel as per, if 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 all if I have four children or five children, right? Um, and all my children were wire seasons. Okay. Season two. I mean, it'd be kind
3: of fucked up, but that's okay.
4: It'd be kind of fucked up, but whatever. (laughs) Season two would be the child I would be the most protective over now. Mm. For it definitely would be like season one. I'd be like, you know, whatever. He's the oldest, most responsible, whatever. Season five is the fuck up, you know. Season four and season three. Those are the ones that are always in constant competition with each other, pushing each other to new heights. But season two is the one that I might even say now that that's my baby just because everybody tries to attack it. And I think it's really, really, really strong.
3: That's what winds up happening. Um, It kind of reminds me to some degree of like how I feel about Michael Jordan. Right. As yeah, as a Pistons fan, uh, it was just in my blood to hate Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. That's not to say I don't respect him. and did not recognize the fact that he was a once in a generation, if not the generational player of all time. However, that being said, now, um, as people, in my mind, underrate Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. as there's more challenges and questions about his legacy, and you know I don't want to blame this on, on solely LeBron James, it's just the culture that we live in now, people forget something as recently as three years ago. And mm-hmm. I feel like I find myself reminding people over and over how great Michael Jordan was, which is a b- bizarre position, position to be in, because for so much of my sports watching life, that was just kind of a, um, that was not a misnomer. That was, you know, that was, it was a given. Like the Mm -hmm. the, Michael Jordan means X, but now I find myself defending him a lot more. And it reminds me of how you feel about season two. It's like, I find myself defending season two a lot because I feel that people don't understand. uh, And I think the people who have, I, I do think there's a distinction. The people who have watched The Wire multiple times feel differently about season two than the people who've only gone through it once. Mm -hmm. I understand why the people who have gone through it once feel like season two was a wasted season, a lost season. They were out on it. They thought it was boring. And that is because they're basing this purely off the expectations that were built in season one. Absolutely. After season one, you thought you were in for seasons of the Barksdale and you still were. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think if they went back and looked at it, season two, the Barksdales were in it much more than they probably remembered. Mm-hmm. They were not the focal point, but they were still in it, and they they still managed to move along their story, especially in the last three or four episodes of season two, to where you didn't feel as if they were in any way disrespected. But I mean, everybody was in jail, like right. Product was weak. What did y'all think yeah. was going to be like like they it had to go through a, a certain amount of progression. So I'm with you. Like I uh, even I can't rank season two over one, three or four. I can't mm-hmm. rank it over five, though. Um, right. and, uh, but it doesn't deserve much of the disdain that it gets. Um, so with that being said, looking at the season finale, I agree with you. I don't think it was as strong as the others. Uh, I'd have to think some more about like what would be, if this is indeed the weakness, but I, weakest one, but I don't think that's off base. The thing that, to me, seemed to be the theme of this um, season finale was driving home the point that, things are inevitable and cyclical and this is a cycle that is never ending. Cause even there are several scenes and several characters in this one that constantly bring you back to this theme of this is never ending. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Greek when he's on his way out of town and he's like, and he was asked
0: business a pleasure for you business. All is business.
3: Even when, Vonda's was talking to Prop Joe and they were trying to get the shipment straight and Prop Joe's trying to figure out um, what the supply order will be. And he's like, more, there's always more. And even Beatty, when she's saying to Lester, The world just keeps turning, right? You guys move on to something new. No one looks back. That was the whole thing he wanted everybody to understand is that for as many cases or as many, um, you know, operations as the detail Or a major case unit could take down. Literally, something pops right back up in this place, and this Mm -hmm. this shit is all a cycle. So, that's kind of what I I took away more than anything from this season finale.
4: Hmm. To speak to what you just said, though, I was thinking about something as I was watching it. The almost, if I was going to sum up the wire philosophically in one scene, in one line. I was thinking about this, is that there's nothing that you can do to stop it, but you have to. Mm. Like, and that's how I feel sometimes watching the show. There's nothing that you can do to stop any of this, but you have to stop all of it. And I think you just articulated that really well, is that it? it, it he is sort of showing us what he's showing us both the power that we have if we really understand um and also just how small we are um and just how a part of all of these systems we actually are what i took away from this from from port storm is just something that human beings have a poor understanding of in general which is how much they matter okay this episode is haunted by Frank Sabaka. It's almost like a horror movie, how he is like an apparition, sort of in between nooks and crannies of every single episode. This is the first episode where he's gone, yet everywhere he, he, he touches almost every part of it. I don't think Frank Sabaka realized how much he mattered in all of these different worlds. And a lot of times, some of the reasons why we as people can't dismantle some of the systems that uh, control our lives is because we don't realize the impact that we're having on other people's lives. We don't realize how many people fail behind us. And we don't realize how many people succeed behind us. And and watching this episode, I thought, Frank Sabaka's failing his failing to be an honest, strong, um, and perceptive leader damned and doomed so many people. It even had the government coming in to try to uh, to try to to try to lean on the union. So many things happened because he wasn't able to like to figure stuff off, stuff out. And I know it's too early for a van life sidebar. This is only like kind of a sidebar, but it's I think about- never
3: too early for a van Laiten sidebar. <laughs> Let's just got get it right. A,
4: I got another one. I think about that all the time. I think about, you know, uh, and this is some this this will air sometimes later, but Pop Smoke came out with an album um last week. Great album, great music. Obviously, Pop Smoke is passed away. He was, you know, never even made it to see 25. I think he was I was much younger than that. But I think about whenever someone is just taken out of the equation, no matter what it was that they were doing. I think about all the people that would have been tentacles or fruit off that tree, whether it had been guys that might have been his chefs, his bodyguards, people that might have... There was there's some designer somewhere that might have wore one of his shirts and really put them on because that would have been his style. All of those people now are caught up in the vacuum. So as much as systems matter in the wire, also the choices of individuals and their ability to either understand and navigate those systems or fail to try to do that that matters too and i saw that in this episode
3: yeah it was definitely a lot of that um and you know ultimately i think in every season of the wire by the time you get to the end of every season you see the culmination and it doesn't happen i, I think in television most of us are Conditioned to watch television with an instant gratification mindset, and one of the the beauties of 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 the wire is that it doesn't give you the instant gratification. You sometimes have to wait for it. You Mm. have to wait for consequences to show up on people. You have to because that's kind of how real life is. I mean, we could see we see despicable people winning for years all the time, and yeah, at some point it might catch them or it might not. They just might wind up being despicable despicable for the rest of their lives and the rest of us just have to silently seethe as we we see it unfold. Uh, I mean, and the some wire, of them get to be president. <laughs> sometimes they get to be president. <laughs> and we sit around here waiting on them to karma to show up in the universe to uh, right to, to 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 make um to make a point. And the universe never does. And We like damn you, universe! <laughs> and so sometimes with the wire, you just don't get that gratification of seeing. People get what they truly deserve. But at some point, people do get it and you don't really feel that bad for them when they do. Because you're like, even right. though I like things about this guy, he kind of had that shit coming. There were yeah, things that we both liked about Frank Sabaka, but yeah, he kind of had that shit coming. Played right? the game wrong. Played, played the game, the game wrong. along. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to what the recap is. As, as you mentioned, a lot of, you know, the, the wick is burning down. Completely on the candle. Although I will say that they did tie up a lot of loose ends, but they also left some threads that lead us mm. right into season two. And we'll get into that uh, when we discuss the huge file this away for later moments in this episode. So uh, Frank uh, Sabaka's body discovered at the port because where else would it be discovered, right? right? It comes floating up, everybody sees it. Um, this inspires Nikki to cooperate with the major K squad lays out the entire operation and finally tells the police, Hey, that dude you thought was the Greek really ain't the Greek. There's Mm. the Greek, right? Mm -hmm. Which leads to something uh, that I think we all suspect is that most of the real um, puppeteers are always hiding in plain sight. Um, And then of course, as a, as a result uh, of the, police in detail being able to finally piece together the operation it was so funny because just a couple episodes we were thinking all is lost because landsman fucked up because they blew so many they had so many near misses and really at the end of the day they were able to pretty much get the case that they wanted to get um you know they get the full drop on white wee bait aka mm-hmm. Boris, thanks to mm-hmm. some videotape right. um and earth this incriminating incriminating video Boris flips because he can avoid the death penalty. Very
4: un-Weebay like. Uh,
3: very unWeeBay like. Uh, you are correct because WeeBay would have taken every charge, the death penalty mm-hmm. too, and right. asked for a tri-tip sandwich. That's exactly. how he gets. <laughs> That's how he gets down. But nevertheless, this allows the detail to clear the murders of the girls in the can mm-hmm. and several others of mutilated body parts of multiple men. So they that clearance rate. Uh, got way up there because of this episode. Avon and Stringer clash over Brother Muzon, who, has, who was shot in the previous episode by Omar. Omar did not finish him off because they both realized something is amiss with this situation about why they're coming at each other to begin with. Avon questioning Stringer, about what happened with Brother Muzon and questioning Stringer's leadership overall, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omar vows his revenge on Stringer. Uh, Brother Muzon leaves a very cryptic message to Stringer Bell. Um, the Greek and Vondas, they skip town, and uh, Fitz realizes that what enabled the Greek Vondas and therefore a mass influx of drugs into Baltimore was. Shock, tell me if you haven't heard this one before. The FBI. <laughs> ah. Uh, and Kima and McNulty, they connect Prop Joe to Stringer Bell. So yes. all with the of the help, us help have of who?
4: The most, one of the, the most, the, one the, one of the most of them, import, uh, important, street game. Ever. Sherlock, Sherm, Shermlock Holmes. Shermlock? Shermlock Holmes, Bubbles. The bubbles Tony Stark's. In- of, a Tony of, Stark of criminal, of, of criminal informants. Bubbles has cracked more. Ca- Bubbles is the best police in the. But
3: Bubbles of show. has a perfect clearance rate.
4: Perfect clearance rate.
3: Perfect. Perfect like, clearance rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bubbles is undefeated, and he continues to be. So, it, it, look, it wasn't a lot of Bubbles in this whole season. Very scant, and mm-hmm. then, but when he showed up, he, he showed, showed up, up. <laughs> and up? he showed up big time. Right. Uh, now, with that being said, um, let's get into kind of a dual character deep dive here. Um, Look, we know that this isn't technically the end of Nikki Sabaka. He, uh, he does live obviously. And you see him later on in the series, a glimpse of him, but for all intents and purposes, his character is dead because right. whole family's completely torn apart in the shreds. He's the one left standing. Uncle's dead. Cousin's dead. Our cousins in jail, rather. Uh, it is just Nikki Sabaka. Um, we talked about him earlier this season when we did that initial kind of deep dive into who Nikki Sabaka was. Now that it's all said and done and the walls have totally crumbled on this young man, how has your perceptions, if they've changed at all, of Nikki Sabaka changed since we first started to get a, started to get to know who he was?
4: Uh Nikki is a victim. He's you a would character. put him as a
3: victim, huh?
4: I would. I hmm. would. I will put Nikki as a victim. This is me stepping out of outside of my my cultural box for a second cuz it's hard for me to look at a guy like Nikki and call him a victim. But uh Nikki is a Nikki a victim. It Nikki was only going to ever be as powerful. He he doesn't have enough. He hasn't found himself as a man yet, uh as a father yet, as a citizen yet, as a worker yet. He is only going to ever at this point in his life be as powerful as the powerful people around him allow him to be. Uh, Those powerful people being his uncle, those powerful people being uh, the Greek and Vondas. Okay. Um, So because of that, it seemed as if things were going well for him. It seemed as if stuff was happening for him. It seemed as if he was uh he was doing well but he wasn't he was standing on the shoulders of giants uh both in his the straight life and the criminal life and he was trying to make sense of everything he was trying to figure out what his role was going to be and he never got a chance to uh because he's not enterprising enough lucky enough talented enough or smart enough he is the quintessential cog in a wheel quintessential cog in a wheel um good enough to be a good worker and in America, no one, no one has suffered more uh, over the last generation, two generations, three generations than the good worker. What does the good worker do when there is no work? What does the good average person do when there's nowhere to 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 sort of go? When all of the jobs are in industry and fine, uh, or in uh, all the industry jobs are you know, shipped to other countries, and you don't have what it takes to, 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 to go work in finance. And you also believe that there's still somebody out there that you're better than because that's what America has told you. So the way I look at him is he eventually found a different group to go and gain some relevance from, and that was the police. You know? He had to... He had, He He's a servant. He has to kneel to someone. The reason why he flipped and gave them everything that they wanted is because that was the last chance for somebody else to come in and save nikki you know the the only time he's ever called somebody out really was his uncle when he was like yo it's not it's not my responsibility to know where your son is it's your responsibility to know where your son is but up until that point he was doing as he was told and a lot of in a lot of ways the wire questions the virtue of doing what it is you're told. Keep going back to this. The one character in The Wire that has their complete own code that doesn't do it is Omar. Omar does whatever he has to do to survive and get ahead, and he doesn't really believe in any of these systems. He doesn't think they're going to protect him. The only thing that protects him is his mind and his shotgun. That's completely antithetical to Nikki Sabaka. Nick Nikki Sabaka is going to go to the Greece for protection. He's going to go to his uncle for protection. Then he's going to go to the cops for protection. And at the end of the day, he didn't get strong enough, big enough or smart enough uh, to protect himself. And that's why he is now going to be plowed over and moved to the side, just like uh, <laughs> the port eventually is to, to build something new and better. Nikki Sabaka is the, the failing of the average American.
3: So, yeah, it's um. You said that you thought he was a victim, and I've been trying to uh, wrap my mind around that phrase and think about it. Like, is he a victim? Mm. And I have to say, I, I guess I just don't see him that way. Um, mm. he, I, I think the, the the one of the more compelling but frustrating things about Nikki is that, much like your boy Stringer Bell, mm. he had that disease of not knowing what he didn't know, and. I think he was often he let his arrogance talk him into alliances and partnerships that he was not smart enough to figure out. Like to me, one of the one of the best and, you know, I mentioned how sometimes David Simon doesn't give you that payoff that you want. Mm -hmm. But I thought a excellent payoff for somebody like him who I think because he often felt superior to Ziggy that he let a little bit of that get to his head. You know, he's lecturing. Again, he's kind of a hypocrite because he's, you know, earlier in the season, he's lecturing Ziggy about not being flashy. And as soon as this motherfucker starts making a little bit of dough.
4: Buys a new truck.
3: Buys a new truck. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like he was forever trying to prove that he was the smartest person in the room. It's like once he got a little taste. You know, mm-hmm. we see this happen in real life all the time. That the old adage goes, money just makes you more of what you are. Right. With, yep. And you see people all the time act one way when they ain't got a pot to piss in and act another way when they do. And right. he very much struck me as somebody who was acting brand new through a huge portion of this um, season and it's hard for me to feel any real empathy for him. But the come up, the come up it's moment for me was when the police told his dumb ass that he's thinking that he that ultimately he was the reason that Frank got killed right is because he convinced his uncle to trust the Greeks because they were going to get them out of the situation that they were in that they were going to make Ziggy's uh, charges go away shit was going to be cool he's running point on this whole fucked up situation at at some point and he had to be reminded oh by the way we had your cousin dead to write. there was nothing the Greeks could have done Nothing at all. They got the gun. They got this. So all that shit that they sold you about how they were going to take care of any, everything and yo ass, believe them. I mean, he ultimately chose the Greeks over his own family and he got to eat that shit. And so to me, that's why I see him less as a victim and more as incompetent. Um, you know, again, his hypocrisy just really ran deep in this Uh him not wanting to be the dude on the corner, only to be the dude on the fucking corner. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe not directly, but indirectly, he was supplying the shit, you know. And so it was just Nikki. Whenever he got a little taste of success, always acted like he was better than somebody else. You know, he yeah. went from uh, what's his name? Um, uh, my boy that was selling dope, the white kid who was clearly having an identity crisis about not yeah. white Mike, but the other one out there dressed. Yes, dressed in G-unit hiccups and Mm -hmm. (laughs) every matter of stereotype fitting all of them. He's sitting on his porch trying to lecture him about the dope game. Motherfucker, you just got here five minutes ago. Right. Right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, eh. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, uh, his level of hypocrisy that he displayed, and he didn't have, like, I could feel bad for Ziggy because Ziggy had some fucked up insecurities that were a result of Frank. I understood exactly where Ziggy was coming from. Always feeling not good enough. A misfit because he never fit into the port world, never fit onto the docks. He was actually a little bit smarter than that. And Frank never nurtured that gift. He was like, no, you're going to follow this path whether you like it or not. I got where Ziggy was coming from. But Ziggy didn't have some fucked up father issues. He didn't have, like, what was his, I mean, he was broke, which a lot of people are, and I get that. Like, that's part of the American plight, as you talked about. Um he was broke. He wanted to make more money. He deserved to to, to uh, have a better life. He had a girl that was sweating his ass about staying, you know, in a twin bed in his uh, parents' basement and having to sneak out despite the fact they got a baby. I get it. Shit's fucked up. But nevertheless, whenever he got a taste of some cash, he was really good at reminding people how much better than them he thought that he was, which mm. was amazing to me considering mm. he can barely put on clean tube socks, but you want to lecture somebody else.
4: It's true. I the th- everything that you just said is to me is what makes him a victim. And the reason why I say that is because if any of the systems that he lived, that he believed in would have actually been his salvation, he would have been okay with them. He, the thing, the reason why he turned to, to being a criminal is because he didn't have enough seniority at the docks to get days. He couldn't support himself there. Right. he, he couldn't support himself on the docks. And then when he goes into the criminal organization, to me, there's nothing more that makes you a victim than being forcibly pushed into being exactly what it is that you say you don't want to be. Another thing about uh, like, uh, another thing about him, which makes him a very American character is, everything that you, when you were talking, when you were saying everything you're just saying, right? You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about the financial crisis. And I'll tell you why. The way wealth is defined in America, I promise you guys, I'm not getting too broad, but I'm thinking about this. The way wealth is defined in America, America tells you that whatever you can afford, you should have, right? Whatever you can afford, you should have. That's what the American dream is. Well, there was a time in America where banks and different people and loan officers told all of these Americans that they could afford these houses. So what did they do? They went out and they got them. And like, they they could qualify for the loan, so they bought the houses. And they went out and they got them. And then when they defaulted, they were made into the villains. What was really villainous and what was really pernicious was the system of lending that was telling these people they could afford some shit that they really couldn't afford. Now, at the end of the day, if you know you can't, if if you know you can't do something, isn't on you? Yeah, it is. But at the same time, I look at a character like Nikki, and someone who's being told something, and told something, and told something, and then the reason why I say he's a victim is because is it really his fault when he then believes it, and when it turns out to be a lie. Like, don't you have to take a step back? That's kind of when I look at victimhood and I, I look—I don't look at the people who go off. Uh, Ziggy's actually less of a victim than Nikki because Ziggy always colored outside of the lines. So he was refusing it. The real tragic person is the guys like Sabaka because the guys like Nikki Sabaka because they're the ones who sort of do what they're told and they still get shit on. Because, like, like to me, I look at this country as being a place where doing what you're told in, in, in most instances is the surest way to end up getting fucked. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and especially if, because remember, whenever you just go about life doing what it is that you're told, you're putting your entire faith, your entire life, your, inter- your entire future on who's ever telling you what but I can understand what you're saying and definitely pains me to call him a victim.
3: Um, No, but I mean, there is some, there is definitely some truth to why you would characterize him as a victim because, um, you know, as we've been having these rolling conversations about race and class and everything else um, over the course of the last couple of months, the one thing that America has struggled with uh, or Americans have struggled with is when they figure out that the PR campaign was indeed just a campaign. Mm. And this is, he failed for the PR campaign. He did. Right. I mean, people don't understand to some degree when we say things like their facts, such as greatest country on earth, Mm -hmm. leader of the free world. Those are affirmations. Those aren't always facts. Okay. Right. (laughs) Right? And so he took them to be facts as opposed to just simply affirmations. Mm -hmm. Feeling as if he was entitled to a certain living, right, and feeling inadequate because he couldn't, he didn't have it, he didn't have it. The reality mm-hmm. was he wasn't going to get it, right. or he would have to take the really long, long way to get it, and he didn't want to repeat the way that his father did of uh, being the guy making imaginary bets in the union hall bar, right. He he's like, I'm out on that life. I'm not spending mm-hmm. 30, 40 years of my life on these ports and that's what I got to show for it. I need something that comes a lot faster and has a lot bigger payoff than what that does. And so I understand the desire to do better and feeling because you only know how to do one thing, you're only familiar with one life. And that's why he went back to it in the end is because mm-hmm. it was all he knew.
4: You could do, yeah.
3: But the 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 whole, to me, total fuck you moment for him is he goes back you know, who do you hear about getting out of witness protection, just walking away from the shit, right? So yeah. he just he just gets out of it, walks away. And the thing is, as we will learn, spoiler alert, is he was so insignificant, they didn't even give a fuck that he they did. They didn't
4: care. That he they did didn't it. care. That's this whole thing because once so again he
3: blew his whole family to bits. P- yep. Mm-hmm. For people who didn't even care about him. And it I mean, it it, is fucked up. It's a sobering reminder that, as you said earlier about in your takeaway um, takeaways for this particular finale, is that you're a part of this system and you get to thinking that you're more important in the system than you actually are. And there is some kind of reminder that lets you know you ain't that important. Yep. And don't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not Mm -hmm. important. You're replaceable. You are completely disposable. And he found out that he was disposable after already losing his uncle. I'm sure his father probably will never fuck with him again to some degree (laughs) after having a house raided. And his cousin is in jail, presumably for life. So it was a, a, I mean, you could, you could argue, even though, again, I know that, you know, Frank is is dead. So technically that's going to be the guy you say suffered the most. You could argue that of all the people um, in this port world, who suffered the most dire consequences, you could argue it
4: was definitely Nikki. Oh, I don't I, think there's a question. Frank's troubles are over. Right. You, you know what I mean? And, and I mean, Ziggy,
3: uh, I, you can make a case. Ziggy's, you can yeah. make a
4: case. I mean, you can make a case for Ziggy, he's in there, but Nikki's the one that's got to live. Listen, man, I'm not old enough to have all of the answers, but I'm old enough to know one thing, is that the one thing that you want to avoid in your life, if you can, is shame shame burns you up from the inside out. It stays on the surface of your skin. It, uh, you know, it keeps your eyes open at night. Um, it splits your brain. Shame is something that can, your shame is like a virus. It'll it'll spread to the people around you and stuff like that. Nikki's going to have to live with the shame of all of this. He's gonna have to live with that. Ziggy is too. He took lives, but Nikki gonna be moving around, feeling feeling beat down about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be terrible for Nikki. And by the way, we know that he can't let go of it, and we know that because of what he's doing when we see him again in this series. Right. There you go.
3: Yeah. No. I mean, he uh, uh, he definitely he got everything that was coming to him and then some. I think it's fair to say.
0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer's got a brand new show out now about NFL player Cam Newton called The Cam Chronicles. We'll be releasing new episodes every Monday for the next six weeks, but you can binge all six episodes right now for free on Spotify. Here's a quick trailer. From The
3: Ringer, I'm Tyler Artans, hosting a new podcast series, The Cam Chronicles. NFL star Cam Newton has always been a complex figure, Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. The Ringer NFL Show presents Cam Chronicles. Listen to the full series now on Spotify. All right, Van. Well, uh, let's talk about some of the best scenes in this Mm -hmm. uh, season finale, of which there were plenty. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Of course, you know. If I had to enter my first contestant for the the best scenes, I would definitely say Stringer scene with Brother Muzo. <laughs> oh,
4: that's a great one.
2: I just want to let you know that we got you back. You know, whoever did this, we'll find him. We got you. You understand? I appreciate the offer, but that won't be necessary. Inform Mr. Barksdale that any obligation he feels he might have with regards to this incident, it's absolved, along with our agreement. Well all I'm saying is I understand perfectly well what you're saying. What I am saying to you is I will take care of them myself. Them? Okay, at you? Thank you for your concern.
3: That's a crazy. You yeah. know, Brother Muzo just has this this he he it's a quiet fear that he knows how to instill. Like, mm-hmm. he's sitting there and he is somebody who looks so non-threatening and yet you're terrified of this man despite the fact that he's, he's short, he's got these you know civil rights worker glasses on uh he there is nothing about his appearance that would admit fear but the way that he carries himself he's just able to intimidate you with as few words as possible or as many words as possible mm-hmm. and to the point where even stringer is looking at him like you know what i'm gonna just stop asking questions right now yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, clearly i need to shut up yeah all right hope you're doing all right, <laughs> right. <laughs> i'm out all right brother Okay. I also my leg on, dog. I'm out. Good to see you, man. Uh, right. <laughs> right. So uh, th- that to me was like a very powerful scene is when he tries to, he's trying to figure out what Brother Muzon knows. And Brother Muzon is way too smart for Stringer Bell. Yeah. And he has figured this out in, in just a few sentences that he might have fucked up with
4: this. I have to say something negative about Stringer now. Oh, no, it's not you, it's man. It's not
3: captain of the the Stringer Bell fan club. Not you. What okay. will your members say?
4: I know, but I have to say something negative about Stringer now. It's very upsetting. You can hear the pain in my voice. Okay, so there's, there's a, a level in life that I call being the D2 player. First of all, shout out to all the D2 players. But I'm going to tell you what I mean by this. Shout out to everybody playing D2. But I'll tell you what I mean by this. Because you bust my ass in basketball, you're playing D2, you're busting my ass. When we're in the gym and we're playing pickup games in the gym, D2 player comes in. You can obviously tell he's the best player on the court. You can obviously tell you can because I know all y'all niggas think that y'all will go to the NBA because y'all run y'all pickup games at L.A. Fitness every Monday and Wednesday at eight, and nine o'clock. I know y'all think that because can't nobody stop y'all in there. But as soon as a real basketball player gets on the court, you can see the difference. OK, and it's always when you talk to these guys and you go, oh, man, where do you play? They don't never say UCLA or nothing like that. They say, oh, man, I play Small D2. You know what I mean? Okay. Those D2 players look amazing until a D1 player comes in the gym. And then when a D1 player comes in the gym, you see why the D2 player is the D2 player and the D1 player is the D1 player. The D1 player can normally do everything that the D2 player can do, except he does it at 6'4", five when the other man was 5'10", 5'11", or whatever, okay? In the scene between Stringer and Brother Muzon, Stringer looked to D2, and Brother Muzon looked D1. Stringer looked good enough to impress all of the guys that are under him, right? All of the dudes is where he can outthink them, he can outplan them, he knows more than them. That's the pickup game. Poot and Bodie. Slim, that's the pickup game. Brother Muzon looked like the dude who can do everything that Stringer can do, only he's 6'6. Because he saw right, stru- right through him. And Stringer was Stringer was struggling. It was a great scene. He looked right through him. Right through him. And it was one of the first times, and I don't know if this was purposely done in this series that they let you know that String can't get around the guys at the top of the top. He can't play the brother Muzon's of the world. So, I noticed that and I was hoping that you didn't actually bring that up as one of your best scenes. Come on. Because I didn't want to...
3: And and I'll return to it in a few moments. When I further continue to break down the fuckboyness that is Stringer Bell.
4: But continue, Van, with your other best scenes. That's it. My other best scenes, I would say uh, when the dock workers find Frank, that's a funeral. That's the most genuine funeral that we ever get in the I know that we had D'Angelo's funeral, but it seemed like everybody else was preoccupied at D'Angelo's funeral. It doesn't really seem like they cared that much, but um, that was a funeral. Uh, when Nikki gives it up, um, is great. But the best thing to me is Stringer and Avon.
3: Oh, I, I, that that <laughs> one's right up there. I had to decide. When again, your boy gets exposed, man, gets totally exposed.
2: He said that thing between us is, uh, how he put it, absolved. Absolved? What the fuck do that mean? Muzon booked out. We worse off than when he came. Now if the world get out on the street that we weak like this, how the fuck we supposed to maintain our shit? I know, but we gotta hit right back, make a statement, but Muzon not saying who did that shit. You asked him who it was? Yeah, I asked him. Why? Why what? How you gonna ask a soldier like Mazon a question like that? Either he gonna say or he gonna go and work it out. Either way, you ain't got to be asking him shit.
3: Avon is prone to some D two moments as well. Like what up? He's okay. had his. He's had his share. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is like when you have two D two players, <laughs> but one of them, one of them transferred from UCLA. <laughs> The other one had to come to high
4: school. Okay. Right. The one of them right? got in some drug. The one of them got some dope trouble his freshman year. Correct. And he got or they stole some sunglasses. They stole some sunglasses when they were in China. And now he has to, I get it. That's perfect.
3: Yes. One, one perfect. of them uh, you know, stole a, a a laptop while at University <laughs> right. of Florida.
4: Right. <laughs> Went to Laney College for a year. You right. might get another with the, shot. <laughs> Went to
3: college for a year. Came back to Auburn. Right. Won it all. Won it all. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, snap. Right, and, uh, That's a powerful thing. And that, that and is. that is, uh, and, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not mistaken, to date, that's the most, at odds to this point, we have seen
4: Avon and Stringer. Yeah, they flirted with it. I mean, Avon has admonished Stringer before, but not like like that. after
3: Orlando. That was the yeah. only other time I was yeah. thinking of.
4: Yeah, but but like, but not like, not like this though. This was like, yo, I can't. This was this wasn't just you messed up. This was I'm disappointed that you're that you fucked up that bad, like for sure. Yeah, I agree with you.
3: And especially because Avon had to remind him, he said, "Okay." You got to make this deal with Pop Joe, which he clearly already had made, but that's mm-hmm. beside the point. Um, and he's like, "You run it as you see fit, but when I come back, shit is going to be different." Yeah, for and sure. He, and and even though that there was a clear hierarchy between the two, Avon didn't take as many opportunities. The only time Avon ever flexed on him about who was really in charge is when he thought Stringer fucked up and was showing characteristics that in his mind were not befitting of the type of leadership that he wanted. I mean, he Mm. flexed on him with Orlando. As I said, that's Mm. the only other time where I thought that Avon had a salient point, as always, he willing to risk it all for 30 grand, an entire, a multi-million dollar operation. (laughs) And um, now he's telling him that, you know, you, you. and I love that he reminds him, hey man, I know in macro 101, one, y'all done learn all this other stuff in your little community co- college courses. Mm-hmm. I know how to, but the street is the street. Always. Again, right. I got back to that that whole cyclical this is how it's always going to be nature of this episode is him reminding him is like these rules going to always apply. And mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what you learn in that classroom. It's this. And what you don't do is ask somebody like Brother Muzon about yeah. his business. Yeah, Okay? <laughs> and and You know, I'm sure in hindsight, if Avon thought about it, that should have been one of many indication, if not the first red flag, that my boy is on some bullshit right now. And I I thought they did. And The Wire is so good at this. At using physical gestures and small things to communicate big messages. And when Stringer puts his fist up to the glass to say their usual us and Avon hesitates, Hesitate. like, I don't really know if I feel like saying that right now. Right. You know, it's kind of like you get into a fight with your significant other. Mm-hmm. And even though y'all have talked it out, it's still some residual and you're like, I love you. And they're looking at you like, yeah. I do love you, but I don't know if I love you in this
4: moment. I don't, I don't want to say it. That's what I, I say wanna all the say time. I don't want to say it right now. Because I don't want to say it. Like, right. I, like, like, look, I've said this. I've said this before. Like, yo, man, I'ma go hit golf balls for five hours. I need to be out of your space. That's what Avon was saying. Get out. And us, nigga, like you, you hit the glass. You fucking up. Like you stressing me out. You get to go and you, you can go get some pit beef on the way home. I, I gotta go. <laughs> you get a late trout sub. <laughs> you get a late trout sub. I gotta go sit with this in a cell. It's not why. That's not how I want to end it. So yeah, could, yeah, you couldn't be writer. Yeah, I get it.
3: Yes. Okay. Well, uh, anything uh else pop up uh in your mind? No, as a, as I mean, to scene? be
4: honest with you, those were there, there are a lot of great scenes in this episode. And so I really had I had like a whole page of them, but really I had um Stringer and Brother Muzon. Um I also want to throw in Omar and Butchie just because. That's a good one. It's yeah, just because like it's the first time you see the dynamic of their relationship really playing out. And you even see little things like i give you a, 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 something small about how the wire makes a character. Remember when the, the crooked cop came into Butchie's place? He refused to feed the dog. The dog was trying to get some food off of him, and he was like, nah, this is not for you, and he threw it in the trash. The first thing Omar did when he walked through the door was like, you know I got something for you. Like, Omar's weirdly benevolent.
3: Right, but that's, it, but that's part of that code. That right. you're talking about is that yeah. it's kind. It's kind of like some people know that whosever house you go into, you speak to everybody in the house, mm-hmm. right? That's just yeah. that's just part of being, um, you know, having manners, right? Yeah. And in Omar's my Omar's mind is it's mannerable for him to come to Butchie's place to his bank, mm-hmm. and how could he not bring something for the dog?
4: Brought something for the dog. Spoke to everybody, like you just said. They kind of didn't speak back homophobia, but like, uh. But the whole deal, and so just him sitting down with Butchie and that that whole thing and seeing how Omar puts the money back out. This is for my peoples. This is for you, this is for you for a rainy day. You just kind of see it. I like that scene too. But mostly th- those were the ones that I really had tabbed um as some of the best scenes. I think the absolute best scene is Stringer and Avon now. That's my yeah, favorite of the episode.
3: I, I, I'm not mad at you for that at all. Uh if not for the scene with Brother moves on, I think that would have probably been my my number one as well. Um two yeah. other scenes uh I wanna point out. One is when Kima's in the store with Cheryl. That's great. (laughs) Kima. Blue's Clues juice box holder.
2: (laughs) If the kid can't hold on to a little old box without no help, we got problems.
3: The thing about Kima is she's one of the more likable characters. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly, I think of all the detectives, uh, you said this before, she's kind of the conscience of their group. Sure. But this is one of the rare times where Kima's in a scene with somebody and you're just like, damn, she's a straight-up asshole. A
4: dickhead. Yeah.
3: <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you it's not many scenes she has like that. Usually uh-huh. in the scene, she is the moral conscious. But in this one, where Cheryl is basically pleading with her to give a shit about the fact they're having a baby, and she just looks so uninvolved and disaffected and it's like that's not normally Kima to be selfish and cold
2: mm-hmm. and so
3: even though it was a bit of an outlier in the larger things they're trying to establish in this uh, it was still one that I thought you know was very different because of, of the the position they placed uh, Kima in as a character the other one um, was Daniel's bargaining with Valchek to get prayers out the doghouse and mm. the reason I pointed that one out because i realize who stan valchek reminds me of stan mm. valchek is donald trump
4: i just realized wow this. he is donald trump oh i am excited about this let's unpack it he's insecure
3: willing to sacrifice the greater good for uh, his own public self uh, public vendetta and self-absorbed ways he's mm. petulant i mean he, he has he literally has all the traits not our current president has. I uh-huh. mean, if you think about this entire season started over stained glass because he felt slighted and he put the muscle of the police department on the union. Now, he uh-huh. may have been right in the sense that Frank Sabaka actually was up to something that was, um, you know, nefarious and criminal. So, you know, as they say, even, uh, you know, uh, even a broken clock is is right twice a day. Right. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is that he whines, he pouts, he's insecure. That's why his own son-in-law knocked him the fuck out. Like he yeah. is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That is Stan Valchek. Valchek Trump.
4: <laughs> so is is that that's fantastic. So then is Prez jerk No, he couldn't be Jared no, because Jared Kushner Jerick. would never do that.
3: I mean, considering, I guess, as we were taping this podcast, she just dropped a book. Maybe she he's Mary. He's Mary <laughs> Trump. Mary Trump. <laughs> There exposing you go. all the secrets, <laughs> right? I get it. I like that. And if mm-hmm. you notice that, in Val, you know, Valchek, who will be a, a constant presence throughout this this series, is he only does anything if you appeal to his ego? You right. have to kiss the ring to get anything out of him, and that's what right. Daniels basically did, does here. And you brought this up many times about Daniels and what makes him a great leader, even if he's disgusted with you, even if he knows what you did was wrong. Um, and though in this case, with prayers. I think he was really proud of him for doing this. Like, mm-hmm. he knew he was wrong from a, um, certainly from a hierarchy chain of command standpoint. Like, you can't, you can't punch out your boss. Mm-hmm. Father-in-law or not. Definitely can't punch him out if he's your father-in-law, right? Can't do that. That being said, he still went to bat for him to get him back because right. that's the kind of leader that, that Daniels is. But yeah, as I was watching Valchek, who's, you know, short and weasley and probably has little hands, I was like, I was like, God damn it. I'm looking at Donald Trump. Ain't this a wow. bitch? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you you brought this up before. Um, it, we usually do a um, introducing type of segment. We haven't, there hasn't been a new face we've seen in a while. In this case, it was an old face um, two or three old faces. Not only did we have Bubbles and Johnny, we also had
4: Sant'Angelo popping up. Yep. Sant'Angelo came back for a little while. We hadn't seen Sant'Angelo in his it It's in been a, a second, minute. But, he, but, he, but he's back. It's good to yeah. see him, man.
3: It was. It was good to see him. I, uh, I, I've always appreciated his presence and uh, we'll never forget about how he was taking a piss and missed uh, uh, them getting a look at Avon for the first time. For the first time? He, was, he was taking a piss, you know, because mm-hmm. that's something that Sant'Angelo would do. Um, all right, uh, Van, in this particular episode, anything aged the best for you? Hopelessness. <laughs> never,
4: <Wow>. ending. <laughs> never ending. Never ending. Hopelessness aged the best. It kind of the episode kind of feels like it's like a a drak a little bit. Not just hopelessness, but um, because I might use that one before. But another thing is the untouchable guys. This is what I tell you about this: the the Greek gets away, right? I'm imploring people to believe me when I say this. I know that you guys know that it's true, but some people don't think that it's true. There's a certain class of criminal that never gets caught. That The the guys that they feed you guys for headlines and stuff like that, that's all to make you feel safer. There is a class of expert, well-resourced, incredibly financed, ridiculously important criminal in America, in the world, that never gets caught. And I'm not talking about the guys that you think I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Ochoa or Escobar or any of those guys who let the world know just how big of a deal they are. I'm talking about those other guys, and they don't ever get caught.
3: Look, Van, just say you' are talking about the
4: Illuminati. It's right.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm saying the Illuminati. What I'm saying
4: is that's aged the best because we're still dealing with that right now.
3: Uh, Along those same lines, what aged incredibly well. Is finding out the US government remains the biggest drug lord in America. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, as I pointed out in the recap, when Fitz found out that Kutris uh, was the one who had been enabling the Greek because of key information about terrorism, uh, it was the most American type of plot twist that I mm-hmm. could possibly imagine right. that mirrors real life um, right. in many respects. Because, um, as We know that uh, I think it was the San Jose Mercury News that won a Pulitzer for this uh, when they showed the link between the CIA pumping crack into neighborhoods. It's real. That's a real real. thing. That's some real shit that actually happened. So don't,
4: so don't, don't hit us up and say that we're propagating some kind of weird conspiracy theory. Look it up. We're not. That actually actually happened. happened. Okay.
3: So that aged incredibly well. Is the government being behind? Um nefarious plots to keep a certain uh class of citizen in a permanent underclass because of one man's valuable information about terrorism. Mm-hmm. Baltimore was just a casualty. Yeah.
4: um Anything aged the worst for you? It jumped out at me, the avid editing system. Mm. like when they when when they were showing Sergey uh clips, <laughs> they had an avid. When I, like, when, I love when, that you recognize <laughs> Right They said They had an Avid Like they says it on there It's an Avid editing system Like the Avid system That they have It's like I remember working In like 2009 2010 When we went away From the Avid We had to take Our whole Avid Like at this Production company That I worked at We had to take After, after I spent years Learning the Avid Right Of course Years learning the Avid I'm just to the point To where I could do it They completely took The Avid out they like, they put the Avid out, the whole new thing. And now people don't really work on avids as much anymore. They really don't work on them at all. Like at TMZ when I was there, we didn't edit on the Avid or nothing like that. So they, they really don't have it anymore. So when I saw that, I'm like, yo, that's something that we they actually, I'm sure Avid has still products that they use and stuff like that. But like Final Cut and all of that stuff like that, they kind of really took over for Avid. So the Avid editing system that they showed, that that's they don't a, really a, a use a that one. anymore. That's a really yeah.
3: good one. Uh, there are two things that age pretty poorly to me. One. If you notice, uh, I don't know if you notice what the Greek and Vondas were drinking. It's something called ouzo. And I have had the misfortune of drinking ouzo before when it, in 2004, I covered the Olympics in Greece. Mm-hmm. And it is. And that's why it was so funny to me that he was like, and I'm not even Greek because ouzo is the most Greekest drink mm. <laughs> that you can possibly have. What it, is it? Is, uh. Well, it tastes like bad decisions in jet fuel. It's ah! awful. It is one of the worst things I've ever tasted in my life, mm-hmm. and but it is, uh, it's in, in Greece. You know, they usually drink it after a meal. It's like a liqueur. Do you like black licorice? I feel like only terrorists like black licorice. You don't. Like
4: I never. That. I don't even know if I've ever even had
3: it. Don't bother. It's awful. It's terrible. Okay. It's worse than Brussels sprouts. Oh, I guess that is. doesn't. Brussels sprouts is, you know. amazing.
4: They're not. Um, we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> later. Amazing. They're, they're never amazing. Um,
3: right. But it it is it is quite terrible, and it has a black licorice kind of taste. But you feel like this must have been fermented under somebody's armpit. It is <laughs> brutal, right? And so I'm looking at this like, wow, that drink ages terribly in you my mind. Um, the other thing that
4: aged pretty poorly is the
3: world terrorism. Oh, it aged so that, well.
4: Not not really. It seems like it always got to. uh, Whenever we declare war on something in a big, massive way, it doesn't really seem like it 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 goes that well. so poorly.
3: (laughs) so poorly. I like war on drugs, war on terrorism. Let's stop putting, you know, sort of nebulous terms and say we have a war on them. You know, war on crime, war on poverty. That shit don't ever work out. So (laughs) those age pretty poorly. Um, And we've discussed two of these moments already. But let's just relay and recap the fuckboyness of Stringer Bell in this particular episode. I know. Because it was a lot. It was right. a lot to go around. He makes the mistake of asking Brother Ruzon too many questions. He has this confrontation with, with Avon, who to me completely undresses him and blows up his spot. And in this moment of where Avon is reminding him, uh, as he told him, uh, String, this ain't about your motherfucking business class, okay? Yeah. Yeah, which is exactly what he needed to be told mm-hmm. there in his little fuck boy eyes. You see Stringer again, as I said, is more if we go back and unpack it. I think there was a more consistent theme that we get it credit for of Stringer. Really, really Stringer wouldn't have minded if Avon committed a parole or committed a violation in jail that kept him in there. Another dozen would no, not have definitely. minded. Definitely and in that be. moment, he is really contemplating like, I don't even need this dude. Right. And I'm kind of hoping that this when I get out shit doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, again, it, it's like the it, it's it's funny you gave that D2 example because it's so perfect because we will see that will be ultimately his downfall is like the D2 dude becomes a walk on on a real, you know, D1 program and he gets and he winds up sitting on the bench and gets fucking schooled. Yeah, for season sure. Season three is all about Strigger getting fucking schooled. And so I am so looking forward to this. And these two moments, the one between Brother Moves On and Avon, perfectly set up him being schooled in season three. Let's talk about some, file this away for later moments. Uh, any pop out for you, Van? A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Omar,
4: Omar and Butchie. Yes. Okay. Did you see Butch? too, too much. much boy too damn much avon's hesitation to hit the glass is a big one you guys we will never in the uh the future of the wire see Om- uh, avon is stringer like they were in season one Ever.
3: Yeah, that's kind of over with. You're right. That, yeah, like, that's kind of never
4: with. see them again. Well, it, well, it's
3: a brief. It's a brief moment. Maybe but not, not. But not like it was. Not, it, it's yeah, not we, like, like it we're was.
4: gonna see them. There's a there's a couple of moments where right. they flirt with it, but as soon as Avon gets back into the swing of things, nah, it right. is over. Um, uh, I have Bubbles' arrest is a file that's mm-hmm. away for a later moment. That like that's a big one. Um, and. Kind of something that went on with Bub- Bubbles and Johnny uh, is also a File This Away for Later moment. I'll get into that a little bit more a little bit later. But yeah, those were mine. Did you have any?
3: Yeah, I do. Um, the, the the When they do sort of the, the, the montage wrapping everything up at the end, you get that shot of Clay Davis breaking ground at the grainier pier. That's a that big is one. a File This Away for Later moment, not just because Clay is very prominent over the next couple seasons. But also what that pier represents, mm-hmm. and in the larger storyline, and those luxury condos, uh, so. I should say, Lieutenant Daniels, you see him. And by the way, uh, I got shout out for giving us ladies uh, the little uh, the little chest shot of Cedric da-
4: Daniels. Man, the little half- hey, can and we new- stop? And, can we stop and talk about this for a second? <laughs> like, yeah, ladies. Like Daniels, I don't know if this has ever been discussed. Lance Reddick. I'm gonna look directly at you right now, Lance Reddick. Where's my camera? This is the camera of the laptop. That's <laughs> my camera. Lance Reddick, what is your regiment? Because Daniels isn't like muscular. His eyelids got muscles. That dude, he is totally cut. But it's I, like a I, lean muscle, though. But lean, but what I'm saying, yeah. like, he is the leanest of the lean. Who would like, he's Brad Pitt Fight Club level lean, leaner than Tyler Durden, Daniels is leaner than tyler durden who was the leanest of the lean it's almost intimidating i don't like it i fast forward past it i was like it made me feel even fatter than normal it was weird so like it affected me as well as it affected you
3: i think it probably affected us differently i'm saying oh like, I'm, sure, I I'm sure it, it did <laughs> right personally i was like oh and boxers all right and I'm man. like Marla, you got that in a separate room. Like I don't care what's going on. What What are you doing? And then man?
4: his his posture's so good too. It's just I'm hey, it's, I'm a, I was just he so does jealous. Have excellent posture. I'm jealous. He stand up completely straight. Like you put a ruler on his back. I'm like, dog, why don't you eat a donut or something for the rest of us, fam? You're making <laughs> us letting the whole city down.
3: I know he probably he totally hasn't had a carb in like 25 years. Like totally. Oh, that's crazy. Yes. Yeah. But you know what's so interesting though is that you know clearly. Uh, it, it, in the as we see their marriage kind of deteriorate, you know, over the course of some seasons. But you never they never kind of show it. Like they never show them getting some blowout fight. You know, like McDonaldie and his uh estranged wife, um, like you saw them get into it and you're like, mm-hmm. All right, I get it. With her and him, it was it was quieter. It was different. It was like, oh, one scene they're lovey dovey, then you know, I don't remember the last time that they showed them on screen together. But I, I think the last time they did, it was no hint that they were. I mean, you you got some hints that, that they weren't on the same page. Sure. They were physically, you thought, still together. Now you right. like, oh shit, they in separate rooms. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell has happened between this and the last time? What's so interesting is that she was clearly, she was very much against him taking those murders mm-hmm. and, and trying to solve them. She thought it was a bad political move, but he was right. And he it saw and, and he wound up that wound up being what has skyrocketed his career. So it's interesting because the thing, she wanted him to become more politically powerful. He became just that and she's still tripping. Which is
4: probably the reason the actual death knell in their relationship is that he went against her. If he'd have gone against her advice and it had blown up in his face, that's one thing. But if you go against somebody's advice and everything uh, that you want, you get. Not only... Were you right, but now you also lose faith in them. And as far as how messed up they were about it. Uh,
3: another big file this away for later moment is Herc and Carver, who are pissed in this episode that uh, they are treated like what, what's the term they use? Pack mules. Pack mules. <laughs> yes. The pack mules, um, you know, uh, police brutality one and two are upset that mm-hmm. they have been, um, you know, denigrated for the last time. And Carver asks, to be transferred to the Western District, which yes. is a file-this-away-for-later moment, Huge for one. sure, because if I, you were people were paying attention, the person whose name he mentions he wants to be with is Buddy Colvin. Yes. <laughs> so, who mm-hmm. will be a significant name over the next um, uh, two seasons. Uh, another one was Kima and McNulty pulling the file on cheese. Did you notice the last name when they pulled the file... They, it, the last name was actually Flagstaff. Was it? It was actually Flagstaff. And I, I've started watching the first episode of season three. Look at the name that they show when season three opens. They changed the name. They changed the name.
4: Wow. That's that. a huge, by the way, it's a huge follow this way for a later moment. I just want to say something else. We know
3: Oh, I was getting to that. I know what you're about uh, to say. I'm oh, getting to that. Okay. Oh, oh okay. trust me. I know what you... I, I know. I know where are we going with that. Anyway, that's all my father's away for later moments. But since you brought it up, mm-hmm. let's get to trivia. Yes, people. It wasn't Chardee's last time. It was <laughs> That was on, on the wire. It was my fault. Van was not a party to this foolishness. I usually handle the trivia. And in something I read, it said that was her final scene. I totally forgot... Yes, she was in season five. I'm nine thousand years old. What y'all want from me? Y'all can stop tweeting us. We know that was Chardine's last time. Okay, you know we here for Chardine's
4: flourish. Right, love her.
3: Yes. By the, by
4: the way, y'all, we love y'all. We do. But y'all, we love y'all. We love y'all, fans. But. <laughs> um, uh, y'all beat the shit out of that one, but no. Nah, oh my it, god! Like, it's on us. It's it it on taught us.
3: me to triple and quadruple check the trivia. You know because, what, we, you know good what Lord. we're gonna do.
4: We're gonna take accountability, though. We're gonna take yeah, accountability. It's on I'm, us. It's on I, us. It's I, on I'm us. being
3: accountable. Mm-hmm. It was a hundred percent on me. I'm taking this L, putting it right here on my forehead. L, Chardine returns. My bad. <laughs> no disrespect. Speaking uh-huh. of trivia, I don't know if this is trivia. More, I would put this as T more than trivia. But yeah. I thought it was interesting learning this uh, in all the pieces matter. Uh, the the chemistry on screen chemistry between uh, 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 between Daniels and McNulty, Lance Reddick and Dominic West is really good. But behind the scenes, Lance Reddick couldn't stand Dominic West, and he talks about really. This. Yes, he talks about this quite a bit in all the pieces matter. Um, this is a direct quote from Lance Reddick. I definitely got annoyed with Dominic. I think it was really our personalities. I think it's ironic, but I don't think it's because of the nature of the roles we were playing. I'm an introvert. Dominic's an extreme extrovert. He's the guy that's got to be the center of attention all the time, in my opinion, as talented as he is. I kind of just want to do the work and hang out. I just feel like there were times when Dominic got bored. It's funny because this didn't happen when we were in the scene, just the two of us. It only happened when we were in group scenes where he was a class clown. That just bugged the shit out of me. For me, everything matters. Couldn't stand Dominic West.
4: He hates him, by the way. He 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 was he like if if you if you read that, like that's basically like I can't stand them. Like he like he he hates him. But wow, that's interesting. Cause you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to see that. And Lance no. Reddick, very laid back guy. By the way, it's weird. I don't know if I've ever told this story before on the podcast. Have I told the story about seeing Lance Reddick in the gym? No, you have not told this oh, story. Oh, my God. Yes. When we talk about Lance. So when I first get out to L.A., I told you that I ran. I know everybody's going to start thinking I'm bullshitting. But I just moved to L.A. for a little while. It'll happen to you, too. Well, I, when I I was still a much bigger guy, and I was trying to lose weight. um, And I go into the L.A. fitness. And if Lance Reddick ever listens to this podcast, he can verify that this is true. He can verify that this is true. I go into the LA fitness uh, on 18th Street in La Cienega in, Baton, in the Baton Rouge in, um, in Los Angeles. If you've ever been there you would know it because it's an old office building that they converted the top floor into the gym. So there's a basketball court in there but the ceiling is very low so you can't really shoot the way you can the way you normally shoot or else the ball will hit stuff in the ceilings. So if you play that long enough, it fucks your shot up. And then, like seriously, it's like a, like a low ceiling. Um, but I walk into the gym and I look over and I see this guy, super lean guy that looks like, to be honest with you, that he's wearing like boxer briefs or something like that. Like he's wearing like you know those those little tights that Mike Tyson works out in.
3: Oh yeah yeah yeah.
4: That's what he was like in, and he was hitting the heavy bag hard, like for a long time, dripping wet with sweat. And I look over and it's Lance Reddick. And I go, yo, Lieutenant Daniels.
3: <laughs> of course you did. Of course you caught yeah, him Yeah, the same Daniels. way. I
4: go, Lieutenant Daniels. And he just turned around. You know how Daniels does that little thing where he goes, hm, like that? Yeah, yeah. He turned around and he gave me one of those little, hm, and then he smiled and whatever. But I used to see him at the gym every time I went in there. Every mm. time I went in there, I would see him in the gym and he would be hitting that heavy bag. Doing all kinds of like, like he was doing like karate or, or like martial arts or something like that. I'm serious.
3: What? All right. And I mean, you he wasn't was John Wick.
4: Oh he, yeah, he was. Y'all yep. think I'm bullshitting? Ask Lance Reddick if he ever went to the gym, 18th Street, Las Angeles, La in 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 Los Angeles. He was there.
3: All right. Celebrity sightings. Speaking, uh, you brought up uh, Baton Rouge, um, which in case anybody who doesn't know listen to this podcast, that's where Van is from. Um, mm-hmm. hey, is it true that y'all got mosquito trucks? Is that a true thing?
4: Yeah, they drive around and they, they, they spray out of the back to like kill the mosquitoes and stuff like that. It's the country shit I've ever heard. Why is that country? It, They're performing a service is obvious? <laughs> like, that's so country. Like, oh, a truck that, just spray it like... That's and how you do A truck drive down the street and it sprays for mosquitoes. You know yeah, what? I'm going to be honest with you. Live down there for a little while and get your ass ate up. You'll pray when you see that truck. It's not even a game. By the way... Like, when when I go back home and I visit, I think to myself, yo, man, I'm walking around with welts on my arms. Like, how did I deal with this madness for 25, 26 years? It's terrible. Yeah, we definitely do have mosquito trucks, though, for
3: sure. I I wouldn't, you know, because somebody else I know from Louisiana said that to me. He was like, oh, y'all didn't have mosquito trucks? I was like, no, we did not have mosquito trucks in Detroit. We didn't do that. We had ice cream trucks, but not mosquito trucks.
4: They drive around. Drive around and you can see them as big stuff, stuff that you probably shouldn't be breathing, by the way.
3: Because I was thinking that, I'm like, is that a safety issue? But, oh, hey, uh, all right. right. I, I understand. Um, but it's nevertheless country, but it also speaks to how bad the fucking mosquitoes are in Louisiana. Horrible. They have to have, yeah. actual, have actual trucks. All right. We have come to the moment of truth. Van, who won this episode?
4: Uh, this was a hard one for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> This was a hard one for me. I him. can see why. Um, this is the first time to me, I said it a little bit earlier, that a character that is dead won the episode.
3: You think Frank Sabaka won the episode?
4: Yeah, I gave it to Frank Sabaka.
3: Dead Frank.
4: Fra- Frank Sabaka is in so many scenes that he's not even in. He's just such a big figure that's been he's plucked. He's a presence. He's Yeah, he's such a big figure that's been plucked out. And by the way, Frank Sabaka is the only primary target that ever gets killed in The Wire.
3: The only primary target that ever gets killed in The Wire. The only
4: guy whose mm. picture is at the top of that thing huh. that, gets, that gets killed. Mm. Think about it. Think about the investigations going forward. Think about the targets.
3: I am. I'm thinking about the targets. I'm
4: like, who is Unl- at the- unless you, Unless you kind of count. Uh, by the way, spoiler. Unless you kind of count the, the larger man, which I don't think he ever really was.
3: Mm, at the he, top. Because you did specify. You said at
4: the top. Right. At the top. Of, of the organizational I, I chart. I don't know if he ever really was. Because even when they were trying to get to him. Right, they were trying to get to get somebody else. else. Yeah, I got right. you. Woo. Yeah.
3: that's a good one. All right, man, Give it us a little brain teaser there to think about. For me, who won this episode? My man Bubbles. Look, oh yeah, he got out of jail. He put the police up on there. He put us up on on season three. It was Bubbles. It, <laughs> right? Gave him the case. Okay, he mm-hmm. opens the case up when he talks about the bow tie dude the shots <laughs> Right. he he tells her what happens uh and it's the perfect jumping off point for season two and he also lets the police know that east side and west side collaborating in the drug game which the they didn't important. know which yep. put Kima and mcnulty up on prop joe and stringer bell and yep. uh i don't know if people recognize when Kima took the photo of prop joe um, and trigger uh, Bell at Prop Joe's car that actually is one of the art covers I believe for uh, for season 3 it might be for season 3 of The Wire because I think on the mm. box set it's like uh, it's one of the art covers oh, but wow. at any rate um, yes it is Bubbles Tony Starks of informants out here mm-hmm. solving cases yeah. best informant that ever lived uh, Bubbles true. You you were not in season 2 a lot but damn it your PR was was incredible
4: up. All the way up. By the way, last thing I'll say before we go is, uh, listen, government. If you're gonna put people in the witness protection program, at least clean the rooms that they're gonna stay in. You would think, like would that. Think. That was that was almost a. We love this show, but like, like,
3: but they don't have a lot of money. I they mean, don't have a lot
4: of money. But like, I've been to the Motel Six before, not recently, but I've been. At least it's they 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 try to act like it's clean. Like, Red, right. I've been in a Red Roof Inn before.
3: Red uh, Roof Inn, yeah. They, they look better them. than that. They definitely yeah. look better than
4: that. Come on, man. Do something. You think I'm going to live there? Nah, I'm going to go do something else. That, that room was terrible. Anyway. No wonder he was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just take I'm my out. chances.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> my Right. Uh, speaking of out, we're out now. Uh, we have wrapped up season two. But we, of course, just like we did for season one, we will do the season two awards giving you your mvp of the season Mm. best scene of the season best quote of the season uh your sixth man your rookie of the year your most improved player all of that will come in our season two wrap up so as always keep watching the wire and make sure you keep listening to us we'll see y'all next time
4: That's my baby, that's my baby.